Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to City Beautiful Church. My name is Ryan. Um, we are continuing on with our series called Charismata, where we're examining the spiritual gifts that God has given each one of us so that we can kind of gain language to know our unique position to help him in his rescue project for the world. And, um, you know, like I've said many times before, I'm so excited by the revelations that some of you are having, and especially as you're examining the combination of particular gifts that you might have and how that lines up with your personality. And I just want to encourage you guys, continue on with that. Keep talking about it and sharing your experiences with your friends, with your community group, whomever it might be. Um, And I'm really excited to see by the end of this series, um, for everybody in our community, how well have we embraced the gifts that God has given us and how well are we utilizing them for his kingdom. Today, uh, I'm excited to speak on three gifts that I think uh, can be very controversial in different church circles for different reasons. And so, um, even as we're going into this, you know, I want you to be really kind of sensitive if you grew up in the church, for example, what your church heritage uh, perspective might be on healing and miracles and deliverance, and just kind of bring that into the conversation with the Holy Spirit and and hold it all open-handedly today, um, and just allow the Lord to perhaps give you some new insight or new appreciation for some things that sometimes we tend to overemphasize or sometimes we tend to underemphasize. So I'm going to pray and we'll just get right into this. So Heavenly Father, um, we thank you and we bless you for this moment. Um, Lord, it continues to seem like such a strange way to do church and yet you are a God of accommodation. You continue to work in and through history, in and through your people, regardless of what the situations are in our life, and we praise you for that. It's, again, such a testament to the fact that you are a God who is with us, um, who turns curses into blessings. So, Lord, I I ask your particular blessing this morning on all who are gathering together with us uh, to worship, to engage with your word, to interact and encourage one another, um, that we would come before you today open-handed and open-hearted ready to receive your truth. Um, And I pray that in some way, we would all be excited uh, about the possibility of what it means to use uh, these gifts and to see them um, encounter the world the way that it is and alight it anew with your goodness and your presence. So may the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, Um, The spiritual gifts are meant to help God bring the world back to its original goodness. This has kind of been one of the dominant themes that we've been talking about. The gifts aren't just for us to have some sort of a status within the people of God, within the church. We don't use them to rank and value people. They're not for our own personal edification. God gives us these gifts not to give us a particular value, but to empower us to the purposes to which he's called us, which is to, is to reconcile the world unto himself. That's the way that Paul talks about it. And that reconciliation is, in a way, bringing the world back to its original goodness, that, that when we engage with the story of Scripture, we see a good God who creates a good world out of overflowing love and joy, but that world becomes corrupted and fractured because of 
evil and sin and death. And so God gathers together within that mess a people, and out of that people, an anointed one, a Messiah, Jesus Christ, um, to put the world back to the way that he originally intended for it to be. And so the journey for all of us, whether it's us personally or whether it's the, uh, the entire world, is a journey back to original goodness, entering back into that perspective of Eden. And indeed, this is what we find in Revelation. The images that we see at the very end of the last book are very Eden-like, this kind of, this new city where all of creation is kind of in one accord and we have God present among us and there are no more tears and there's no more suffering. Um, and so we're kind of in between these two realities. And so what we're doing now is trying to be attentive to what God is saying and doing and how he's empowering us to participate in that work of bringing things back to its original goodness. And I think that's such a great way for us to examine the three gifts that we're looking at today, that healing, miracles, and deliverance engage the work to be done beyond the physical realm, beyond what we can see with our eyes, that we can feel with our hands, that we can hear with our ears. There's this other perspective. And, you know, I was even talking to someone about this uh, this morning, that one of my passions, one of my theological passions right now, is helping us to recognize how we perceive kind of the foundation of reality itself. Because we might not realize it, but many of us have grown up with this worldview that there's kind of the physical world, and it's kind of, it's corrupt, and it's broken, and it's no good, and God's just going to kind of do away with all of that. And what God is really interested in is the spiritual realm. He really cares about your, your soul. And so Jesus does this spiritual salvation work, um, but he doesn't really have a lot of opinions about the physical realm because this thing, like I said, is all deteriorating. Uh, and that's not the story that we find in the scriptures. In fact, in all throughout the story of God, we see that the physical realm and the spiritual realm are not two separate places, but they're actually overlapping and they're intertwined. And it's really more about learning how to perceive the spiritual realm in the midst of the physical than it is about escaping the physical and going away to the spiritual. This idea of heaven being this place where we're up in the clouds and we're all angel babies and we all play the harp. So when we talk about the supernatural, so I would say these three gifts are gifts that we would maybe say are like the obviously supernatural gifts. What we're not saying is they're more important because they address the spiritual as opposed to the physical. Um, what we're saying is they readily acknowledge with maybe substantially less effort than some of the other gifts that there is in fact a spiritual reality behind the apparent physical one. And so, like I was saying at the beginning, I think when we talk about healing and miracles and deliverance, for some of us that can feel really overwhelming, um, because maybe you grew up in a church community where those things are not a reality. Um, you maybe read the stories in the Bible and your pastor told you, well, those things were true in the early church to kind of get things going, or those are things that Jesus did, but those things don't happen. Those sorts of things don't happen anymore. Or there's another explanation like, well, we know there's not really demons. It's really more about mental health or, you know, all sorts of explanations that kind of diminish the uncomfortable possibility of uh, gifts of healing, of miracles, and deliverance. Um, and some of you might have grown up in church communities where they're kind of overhyped. So it's like, 
you know, if you have gifts of, you know, like what we'll be talking about next week, service and helps and administration, like, yeah, those gifts, those are cute. Um, those are nice things. But when you're really serious, uh, you're going to become a demon hunter. And that's really what you should be pursuing because it's about the spiritual realm. Those are the, these are the big, big gifts. Um, so a lot of times we walk into this conversation either feeling overwhelmed uh, by these gifts or that they've been overhyped where perhaps it's left a bad taste in our mouths. And I think that's why it's so important that we have not a cultural perspective of these gifts, but a properly kingdom biblical perspective. And so I want to look at two little passages in uh, Matthew's gospel, one that speaks first about Jesus and then the empowering work he does for his disciples the first time that he sends them out. And I want you to be listening for how the message of the gospel, the good news about the kingdom of heaven arriving, how that proclamation is partnered with action. And this is what we see quite frequently. So this is Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed. And he healed them. And then later on in Matthew chapter 10, these 12, it's just named the 12 disciples, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, Proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. And so what we find in the story of Jesus and his first followers, that the proclamation of the kingdom is always partnered with these expressions of this kingdom reality. What does it mean to be in the kingdom? We see that there are healings. We see that there are miracles. And we see that there is deliverance from demonic oppression or possession. And I think we have to hold that first and foremost, regardless of what we've experienced up to this point in our journeys. And what we see through the Gospels, and then especially in the book of Acts, which, as we said, is kind of Luke's uh, part two to the Jesus story, but that now it's the spirit of Jesus working through his church, is that healing and deliverance and miracles are very often used uh, for evangelism, which is they are used to preach the good news to those who have not yet experienced it. And they are treated as evangelistic signs that point to the reality of who God is and the possibility of relationship with him now. For, the, for Jesus, for the disciples, it wasn't about the miracle in and of itself. It wasn't about just doing cool magic tricks to wow all his friends. It was a demonstration of the reality of who God is that's welcoming people into relationship. It was always about intimacy with God in the present moment. And so we're going to be looking at each of these three gifts. And I think what we find here is that these gifts, just like all the others, are an, a wonderful opportunity to ask the question, what does this gift tell us about the character of God? And so what we're going to find in these gifts is that God is liberating, that God is uncovering and revealing, and that God is restoring. 
So let's begin with the gift of deliverance. Just let's just go right for the jugular to the one that we're probably all most intimidated by. Deliverance sets us free from demonic influence in our lives by the power of a liberating God. Um, sometimes, you know, the, the, the talk is about uh, demonic oppression and demonic possession, and there's a lot of different opinions in what those things mean, that oppression is kind of demonic uh, attack from the outside, possession is actually being claimed uh, by demonic realities. But, it, you know, we could go into all sorts of, of rabbit holes into the particulars of that, but I think that to do so, we would kind of lose the major perspective that what we're seeing in deliverance is that God is a God of liberation. God is a God of freedom, that in the, all the story of Scripture, especially the Old Testament story of God rescuing Israel from Egypt, was taking a people who are opp oppressed and enslaved and setting them free to live the kind of lives that God is calling them to live. And so freedom is really key for us understanding the spiritual gift of deliverance. And that's freedom for us personally, but that's also freedom for uh, the human family at large. It's also freedom on a global scale. So let's talk, I want to talk a little bit about um, evil and what do I mean when I say demonic um, and then talk a little bit about more practically what does the gift of deliverance look like. I remember um, several years ago, I was walking on the beach in South Carolina with my dad, and, and I had a friend at the time who, for her, she was the kind of person where there's kind of a, a devil behind every bush. You know, everything is Satan trying to get her. She'd get up in the morning and she'd stub her toe, and that was Satan trying to rob her of her joy. And I had never really been around that kind of theology before. So I remember asking my dad, like, well, what is that about? Like, what, what, where is the place, uh, and when we're talking about evil of Satan and demons and all of this, and he said, well, it's helpful to think that there's kind of this unholy trinity um, that we find kind of peppered throughout scripture, but Paul especially talks about it, of the flesh, the enemy, and the world, or our sin nature, um, the Satan and the demonic, and then uh, the power structures that human beings create in the absence of uh, the sovereignty of God. And he said, you know, in different expressions of the church, they tend to focus on one of those as being the root of where evil comes from. So a lot of times in more conservative churches or evangelical churches, it's the flesh. The, our sin nature is the problem. And if we can uh, submit the flesh to Jesus, um, then we've conquered evil. So this is why some of you weren't allowed to dance uh, when you were growing up because dancing's evil and sex is evil and you can't drink and you can't smoke. And it was all about the flesh. Um, in the charismatic church, it tends to be about the enemy, uh, the Satan, the accuser, um, and the demonic realm. And so if we can overcome uh, the demonic realm, then we've done away with evil. And so that's why there's a tendency to see every, uh, every act of evil has its source in the demonic and then the third one is the world. And kind of liberal churches would tend to say the problem of evil is the world, the powers and principalities, the structures that mankind has created that oppress people. And if we can reform the world, if we can fix um, the structures of humanity, then we've brought utopia to earth, and that's what heaven really looks like. 
And one thing that my dad said that I thought was so helpful was in reality, all three of these things conspire against the kingdom of God. That it's the unholy trinity conspiring against the Holy Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it, we can really get into trouble when, we're, when we become so forensic in trying to figure out the evil that's happening to us or the suffering counting, who exactly is responsible, and then how do we respond to that. Um, but I think what that does is it, is it brings a good counterbalance to either our overemphasis or our underemphasis of the reality of demonic presences in our lives um, in the spiritual realm. And I remember a friend of mine that I worked with years ago uh, speaking about demons, um, and, and deliverance was a big part of his ministry, and he said, demons are basically lies with teeth and fur. And I actually, I really, I loved that, that at the core, uh, that the demonic a demonic presence is almost like it's like a lie that's so powerful that it has a personality to it. It it, it becomes a um, like a, a caricature uh, or an embodied presence that we have to go after. Um, it's evil personified. The Satan is evil personified, and. We can struggle with that a lot of times in the West because in our post-enlightenment era, we tend not to believe that there are such things as demons or, you know, that the, the Satan is this, like, tall red guy with a goatee and horns and a pitchfork or whatever. Like, these images that have very little to do with Scripture are much more come out of the Dark Ages. Um, so we feel like we're very rational. These things obviously don't exist. Um, but a lot of times, our counterparts in the East, because they recognize inherently there is a spiritual realm, have a different engagement with the demonic realm. And indeed, we could see in our own country that oppression may, the demonic oppression that we encounter may be that actual kind of oppression that thrives when we don't believe in it. Um, so the gift of deliverance is given, like, and this is a good example that all of us are capable of it. Like if, if the moment ever arose where you were ever called to cast out a demon, you have the Holy Spirit, you have authority in Jesus, in his name, to be able to do what you need to do. Um, but some of you may specially be gifted with that gift of deliverance. And that means that you have a keen insight into the spiritual realm to be able to ascertain that the source of suffering or evil is in fact demonic. Um, and then to actually be able to do something about that. Um, I tend to see that as the last resort if we're trying to figure out what's going on in someone's life. And again, my dad, uh, just a fountain of good advice, said, if anybody ever comes up to you on a Sunday and says, I need deliverance right now, uh, I'm possessed by a demon, say, okay, let's make an appointment for Wednesday. Because if you're actually possessed, you'll still be possessed on Wednesday. And this may just be more about needing attention. Um, He's probably in the comments, so you can bring that up with him. But, you know, a lot of times, if, if that's the first place we want run, we really kind of want to check, okay, have I been sleeping? Am I drinking enough water? How's my, my diet? Like, am I actually struggling with some sort of uh, mental health or physical health that may be a result of the choices that I'm making or just my environment? But sometimes when we kind of look at all those things, we say, no, I think there's something else going on here. This, that may actually be um, the demonic 
presence within our lives, if we just can't seem to get free from whatever it is that we're struggling with. And people that have this gift are really uh, blessed, number one, to be able to, to see and identify those things. But number two, a lot of times, someone with a gift of deliverance finds that there will be demonic manifestations around them uh, wherever they go because they've been so gifted. Um, and so... An example of, of what this looks like, and this is, you know, it's, it's hard to tell stories sometimes because we tend to reach for the sensational. I don't think that it's nearly as sensational as, as we've made it in movies, but several years ago in my ministry school, um, uh, we had a couple people come in and they were talking about spiritual warfare, which was a really big part of our church in Nashville. And um, at the end of it, we, we wanted to step into an exercise. We were just laying hands and praying for each of the students, um, kind of as they are discerning, what are the strongholds in their life? What are the things that they find themselves time and again struggling with? And so we're going through and, and each student is coming up and just sharing what they're struggling with. We're laying hands, we're praying for, for liberation and freedom. And one of my students, during this whole time, I just watched him kind of slowly sinking into his chair and just seeming like he was getting really, really clouded and, and distracted. And it was kind of coming towards the end of our time. And, and one of the people that was leading us uh, just asked, was there anybody else that wants to go? And so this student, I could see him, he raises his hand, but it looks like he's almost struggling and fighting. He can even get his hand in the air. And so they invite him to sit in the middle. So he gets up and he moves over. He sits down in this chair, and all of a sudden, boom, he just slams into the ground. He just, like, completely gets knocked over. And as he's lying on the ground, he starts to pound uh, his head into the floor, and he starts to pound it with his fists, and he's kind of seething. And it was this really shocking moment for a second, but it was really wonderful watching all of my students, I think especially because we'd just been talking about this, I almost immediately just rushed in and, and kind of held him and started praying over him because we kind of knew what was going on. So we prayed for probably a good 30 minutes um, before whatever this was uh, passed. And um, so I met with that student for uh, each morning, uh, every morning for the next couple weeks to kind of talk about what had happened. And, and the next day he, he talked about how he felt like something had left him. He said he almost felt like there had been an appendage that had just been amputated from him. And we spent a lot of time just praying that the Holy Spirit would kind of fill those gaps. So what I came to find out was he had been struggling with what he thought was a seasonal um, depression for about a decade at this point, that he would just enter into these profound depressions and he had tried all sorts of things and it didn't seem that, that it was working. Um, and it actually turned out to be some sort of uh, demonic attack, long sustained attack that was on him. And, and um, so th this was a genuine deliverance. Um, which was really powerful, and he's now uh, ministering up north in a church, and it's really wonderful to see his growth. Now, a couple of things about that for nuance sake. Um, I am not saying that every time someone has mental health issues that it's demonic. Um, I think that that's really, really dangerous when that's what's communicated. But I do think sometimes that may be what's happening. Um, and secondly, I, I would actually be willing to say that most deliverances aren't even known to be deliverances. Um, they probably go by unnoticed. Rarely is it going to be the manifestations in someone spitting pea soup and crawling on the ceiling or whatever it is that we see in movies. The, I think the most common deliverance is actually someone being overwhelmed with this sense of the peace of Christ more than it is about anything kind of quote unquote leaving them. 
So that's the gift of deliverance. The next one is uh, the spiritual gift of miracles. Miracles are signs that are intended to increase faith in the God of the impossible. So again, I, I think in the similar idea that it, we, we don't live in a world where there's the physical world and it's material and it's corrupt and it's decaying and then there's this spiritual world and that's where God lives and that's what he really cares about. When we talk about miracles, a lot of times we can fall into that same trap that miracles are supernatural, they're these spiritual things that happen and then the natural world is kind of, eh, whatever. Um, I believe, and I think this is properly biblical, and I think this is historical Christianity, everything is miraculous. The fact that there is an existence at all, because a miracle is the manifestation of the power of God on display in creation. And so life itself is, in fact, a miracle. It's, it's a blessing because it speaks to us something about the character of God. I think the spiritual gift of miracles kind of lays on top of that reality that all of life is, in fact, miraculous because it's pregnant with the reality of God waiting to be revealed. And the spiritual gift of miracles is a demonstration of the impossible power of God that kind of wakes us up to the reality of his presence here with us. So really what I think the gift of miracles is about is uncovering the goodness of God that was previously hidden from us because we take nature for granted. Now if you and I, if we're honest, how often do we take it for granted when we're walking around that everything is a miracle and everything is a gift from God? You know, we, we tune that out and we make the world mundane. And I know it, it totally sounds like a stoner to be like walking around being like, birds, trees, this is crazy. Like we're traveling 160,000 miles per hour through the universe. Like that's insane. But it's that kind of waking up to the, the awe and wonder of life that helps us to connect with God. And miracles uncover that goodness of God, the presence of God around us by pointing to the reality of a God that is not bound by the natural laws. And when we read about miracles, especially in the book of Acts, when we're seeing the early church practicing the spiritual gifts, miracles are almost always evangelistic. It's the apostles going out and performing miracles, and the Bible even calls them signs and wonders because they're meant to point to the thing beyond the thing. Um, to demonstrate to those outside of the fellowship, this is what God is really like. And so the miracles can be, they can look like healings, they can look like people being raised from the dead. Um, one time Paul is on this little island and this snake jumps out of some wood, uh, some logs and bites him and everybody thinks, oh my gosh, he's a goner, he must be cursed. And he just kind of flicks the snake into the fire and keeps going. They thought that was amazing. Daniel's telling me his favorite miracle is that Paul gets stoned and they drag him out of the city because they assume he's dead. He just gets up and like walks right back into the city. Like there's all these very strange things happen. Angels showing up and, and breaking the disciples out of prison, uh, you know, miraculously through an earthquake or whatever it is. And they're always to demonstrate to non-believers that this God of the impossible is alive. He is actively pursuing his creation and he's calling us into relationship with him. 
And I think what's so important to recognize, and this is something that I think people with the gift of miracles struggle with, is that we cannot sustain our faith on miracles. We cannot just go from one event to the next expecting constantly that God is going to do supernatural things to keep our attention because it's not supposed to be the substance of our faith. It's supposed to be the thing that wakes us up and reminds us that the whole thing is in fact a miracle so that when there are miracles among us, they open us up to the possibilities of what God is really like. And the third and the final one that we're going to be exploring today is healing. So healing imparts the confidence in the great physician to see us restored physically, emotionally, and mentally. So a lot of times in charismatic circles, this is the one that maybe we actually have the most stories uh, of happening. And um, typically what we find with people that have a gift for healing, again, and this is very similar, all of us are capable of being blessed by God in the moment when it's required uh, to pray for healing. It's not, the ex- it's not the realm of an exclusive few. All of you, if you have the Holy Spirit within you, you are capable of praying for people to be healed in the strong name of Jesus. And I know many of you have prayed for healing and you've actually witnessed that in your lives. And indeed, like a lot of the gifts, we won't know if what we're gifted with until we try it. Um, so when it comes to someone who has the gift of, of healing, typically there seems like there's almost two gifts here, that someone may be very geared towards seeing physical healings or uh, is very keen on emotional and mental healing. So I, I do believe in the medical field, whether it's in um, physical men- medicine or in kind of like counseling, I think there's actually probably a lot of people who have a gift of healing and maybe don't recognize it because something within them is just drawn to those places where there is illness and brokenness because they want to see people be redeemed. And the gift of healing can operate either be miraculous and instantaneous healing or sometimes it can be a progressive healing and the people that have the gift are able to discern how it is that God wants to bring about that healing. But people that have this gift are often motivated either by a sense of empathy for people who are suffering or because they have a sense of injustice with affliction. Like people with the gift of healing, they just feel it on this core level. This is not the goodness of God. This is not the way that he created the world to be. And I cannot help myself but get right up in the mix of people's pain and to administer the spirit of Jesus in such a way that it brings them back and it restores them into that original goodness that we see in creation all around us. So I think this is, this is a great story um, in the book of Acts that demonstrates kind of uh, in, a, in a really splendid way what the gift of healing looks like. This is in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. Uh, The the gate was called Beautiful, not the man. um, Where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. 
in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I love this story because Peter and John have probably walked by this man several times. They would be going over to the temple for prayer you know, almost every day. And it says that this guy's laid out every day. But just on this particular day, something happens where this guy sees Peter and John. He reaches out to them just looking for some sort of financial compensation. And I love the way that, that Peter addresses him. He says, look at us. And, you know, if you kind of use your imagination, get into the story, you can imagine this guy, maybe like a lot of the homeless people that we encounter here in Orlando, um, is so used to not being seen that he struggles to see people because he's so kind of beaten down by his condition and then not just his physical ailment, but all of the cultural repercussions that have come with that, that he's, he doesn't see his own value. And so it's hard for him to see other people clearly. And I can imagine this kind of woke him up when Peter says, look at us. Because what he's saying is, I want you to pay attention to me as a person. I want you to see me for who I am and what I'm about to give you. So he gets the man's attention. The man thinks that he's going to get a coin or two from Peter. And then Peter performs this miracle and saying, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And he takes him by the hand. Again, that act of humanity and saying, I see you. I want you to see me in this moment of mutual admiration of our human shared humanity. Let's get up recognizing that we have been blessed by God among us. And so the man jumps up and then it says that he goes walking and jumping and praising God. So for this man, the healing acted as a sign of a far deeper truth that yes, he was physically healed and that was a good and beautiful thing, but it became the vehicle through which he recognized something deeper, that God is a God who loves him. And so for you and I, when we experience deliverance or the miraculous or healing, that's what it's pointing to, is saying, this is a God who loves me enough to move heaven and earth to see me enter back into relationship with him. So I asked um, a couple in our church, Leslie and Robert Acevedo, if they would tell us the story of a miraculous healing that happened uh, a couple years ago. Here's Robert and Leslie. Good, Good morning, morning, City, City Beautiful, Beautiful Fam. Good morning, City Beautiful Fam. Hey, so Ryan asked us to give a testimony regarding Leslie's pregnancy with Ezra. Um, since today we'll be talking about uh, miracles, healing, and deliverance. So Ezra's three years old now, um, but when I was pregnant with him, uh, at 20 weeks, we had an ultrasound done and found out that I had something called marginal cord insertion. Um, and it meant that Ezra wasn't getting the nutrients that he needed. And so he was not meeting milestones and growing um, appropriately. Obviously, that was a really hard time for us. Uh, we were struggling a little bit. Um, and I had 
a good support group, three women who were praying for me regularly and interceding for Ezra. Um, that was Charity, Jenna, and Shelly. And Jenna actually approached Ryan about praying for us um, one Sunday at church. Um, I remember they called us up to the front and all of you gathered around us and laid hands on us and um, prayed over Ezra and his growth and for us. And um, there were a lot of tears shed that day. Uh, <laughs> a lot of tears shed that time in general. Um, but it was really sweet and um, we could feel God's presence there that day. Um, and at our next appointment, Ezra was already measuring uh, in the 50th percentile. Um, he had made leaps and bounds. And then he delivered at seven pounds, four ounces. So he was beautiful and healthy, and it was a miracle. Surprise boy. <laughs> um, yes, so we're deeply appreciative of um, what was done for us. Um, we can testify to the power of community, uh, the power of prayer, um, just feeling loved. And we hope that, you know, this won't, not the same circumstance, but that we hope to experience um, God working in our lives like that again. And we're truly appreciative for that. Yeah, we love you, fam. It's really important that we cultivate a culture where we're able to share these kinds of stories because they do that thing where they, they build faith. They awaken us to the reality of God that's all around us, but maybe we didn't recognize it because we're so bogged down by the mundane everydayness of life. And again, we, we can't sustain our faith just trying to move from one miracle to the next, but if we properly hold these gifts and treasure them for what they're meant to do, they are proclamations of the good news of Jesus that awakens us to possibility and beckons us deeper into relationship with the God of the universe. So the goal of these gifts is intimacy with Jesus. Everything else is secondary. Now, this is true of all of the gifts, but I think especially the ones that we're looking at today of, of healing and the miraculous and deliverance, that it's not about the gift itself. It's not about the position the gift gives us within the community or how awesome we are or these, these cool tricks that we can do. It's a, it's a very specific way for us to reveal to other people the specific and passionate love of Jesus for them. And Jesus even speaks of this towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 7, he gives us this warning. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This should really make us kind of sit up in our seats because they're actually mentioning some of the gifts that we're talking about here, that they drove out demons and they performed miracles. And he's saying, I never knew you, meaning there wasn't 
There wasn't any intimacy. And in fact, he calls them evildoers. And so for us to use our spiritual gifts in a way that does not flow from intimacy with Jesus and does not lead to intimacy with Jesus is us actually doing evil. And so we recognize when Jesus is saying, it's only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The will isn't to perform miracles. The will is not to cast out demons. The will is not to heal people miraculously. God's will is that we would bring people back into relationship with him. And these gifts are wonderful and powerful ways for us to do that if we hold them correctly. Several years ago, I read um, an interview with Reinhard Bonnke in uh, Christianity Today magazine. Reinhard was um, a German evangelist who would do these revivals um, around Africa, and thousands of people would show up, and he was well known for his healing ministry. He settled here in Orlando for several years, and he just passed a couple years ago. And it was, you know, in this interview, he was very, very late in his life. He was an, he was an old man. He was continuing to do the work, and, and and it was fascinating because the, the interviewer said, why is it that when you pray for people to see them healed, sometimes they're healed and sometimes they're not? And he said, I don't know. I don't know why some people are healed and some people aren't. He said, that's, that's up to God. That's up to God to decide. I just know that I'm called to be faithful to pray and the results are up to him. And I loved that because Sometimes we feel like we need to have these airtight answers for why we see things or why we don't see things and what's going on. And we develop all of these little theological answers to kind of explain things in a way that it actually robs the miraculous of the awe and wonder that it's meant to inspire in us because we're afraid of not being able to control something. And I think it's actually the maturity in Reinhard Bonnke to be able to say something like that, to say, I don't know why it works the way it works or that it doesn't. That's God's realm. I just know that I'm called to be faithful. Does your faith in God allow space for these more obviously supernatural gifts? Does your belief in the goodness of God open you up to the possibility that perhaps he wants to move through you and around you in ways that may not be easily explainable by what we perceive as the natural world, uh, the normal world. What I want to do is I want to pray uh, for our community because I think this is a, definitely a space that I want us to be able to grow, um, that I want us to see more of these gifts on display for us to have the courage to believe that God wants to grant our community these gifts, um, but always in the service of uh, leading people into a deeper relationship with him. So let's pray and then we'll enter back into worship. Uh, Father God, I thank you for those within our community who have stories have testimony that demonstrates to us the awesome power um, of your spirit working in us and through us. Um, that time and again, Lord, you are waking us up to the reality um, of your presence all around us, this constant reality that we often forget and that you like to wake us up um, with the supernatural. And God, I pray for those in our community who may feel like they are gifted um, with healing or with the miraculous or with deliverance, that you would increase their courage to practice their gifts, 
to learn how to walk in them in health, um, but to always keep in focus that, that, that North Star that it's, it's about us doing your will, which is to bring people into relationship with you, to love others so well that they come into um, an engagement with your heart on display through your people. And so God, may we be a community who stewards well the gifts that you've given us and may we continually have the boldness to ask for more, to ask to to see things that we have not yet seen um, so long as we are good and responsible uh, to steward those things so that we can see your kingdom here on earth. And we pray all of these things in your son, our savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's worship. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.